Hey, this is Ryan Miller. I'm the lead pastor of Local Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this talk encourages you, inspires you, and reminds you that there is always hope, that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the message. excited about the next collection of talks that we're stepping into today. We're going to take three weeks and unpack one of my favorite books of the Bible, the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is an amazing book right in the middle of the New Testament part of the Bible. And man, there's so many life-giving things in there for us. There's so many upbuilding and inspiring things that we can lean into and talk about. And I can't wait to start this conversation this morning because the theme of Ephesians for us is really from death to life. Moving from death to life is what Ephesians is all about. And we're going to really lean into that conversation. I want to encourage you to get your notes out and fill out these blanks, but also jot some things down that really stand out to you. Because I think there's nothing more powerful than reading the Bible together, than spending time reading God's Word and having some conversation about it. We're realizing this in our family. Uh, Our three-year-old son, Shepard, who is so amazing, he was here for first service, so cute, so great. Can't wait to just see him today and and hang out with him. I just love being a dad. It's so much fun. And one of the things I've learned is I love spending time in God's Word, even with my three-year-old son. I love praying with Shepard. I love praying as a family. One of the things that we've done pretty much for the last few months is we've been walking through this book as a family called Big Prayers and oh, Big Dreams and Powerful Prayers. And it's pretty much a chapter by chapter little storybook for kids that walks you through the story of the Bible. It's written by a guy named Mark Batterson who pastors a church in Washington, D.C. And it's been so much fun reading the stories of the Bible. Like we, we read a story and then we have Shepard kind of go back and tell us what we read. Like the very first story is obviously the story of creation where God creates the Garden of Eden and he places Adam and Eve there. And we walk through this story and we talked about how Adam and Eve were told not to do one thing and that was eat from the fruit of the, no- the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if you know the story, they did eat that fruit because they were tempted by Satan through the form of a snake and it totally messed everything up. And so we were walking back through the story with Shepard, and he looks at the pictures and points at the different things and tells us what happened. And so we get to the page where the snake shows up. And and Shepard's like, and that's Eve, and that's the evil snake. And Eve said, get out of here, you evil snake. And I said, Shepard, that's not what happened at all. It would have been great if that's what happened. It would have been a, a way different experience for humanity these last generations and thousands of years. But unfortunately, Shepard, that's not what she said. We've been actually reading through some of the New Testament stories. Actually, when we just read a couple days ago was uh, talking about the Apostle Paul, who we'll talk about today when he was in prison and, and talked about how him and his uh, disciple friend there lifted up some worship and they broke out of prison. I remember reading the story and I kind of read like this with like a furrow in my brow, right? And Shepard like points to my forehead wrinkle and he's like, what's that? And mommy goes, that's my mom, not my mom, his mom, Adrian, <laughs> goes, uh, that's a wrinkle. And Shepard goes, why do you have wrinkles? And without missing a beat, my beautiful wife says, because daddy's old. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Thank you so much for saying that. I feel really lifted up and validated and all the above. It's okay, she was just joking. But it doesn't diminish the amazing time that we get as a family to spend time in God's word. And I want, as a church, to take these next few weeks to really walk through this book of the Bible together. And I would invite you to not only do that with us on Sunday, but to do it throughout the week with us as well. You're going to see a little instruction on the screen 
called the 10-Day Ephesians Plan that we're going to read. We're going to read through a version Bible plan in the book of Ephesians. It's 10 days, so we'll start today and we'll finish about midway through next week. All you got to do is text LOCAL to 97000. There'll be a link that says Bible plan and you can join our version Bible plan that we'll read together. What I love about these is number one, it gets rid of any excuse we may have for not reading the Bible that day because we're giving you exactly what to read and it gives you like only a few minutes worth of reading, but also it gives you a life-giving devotional, gives you some questions to talk about and journal down. And what I love about reading it together is there's a little talk it over section where you can write down some things that maybe spoke to you about the reading that day. I would encourage you to join that. You can text local to 97,000 to get the link or the link is also in our bio on Instagram. So join us whether you're watching online or here today. Well, write down the title for the message up for me today. The title of the message is We Long to Belong. We Long to Belong. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, hey, you belong here. You belong here. It matters. That word is important. We as people love to be a part of something that is bigger than ourselves, right? I think about why we get so excited when our city wins a championship, right? Because we realize that we're a part of that, that we belong to something that is truly great, especially when you're the champion of it and you live in Champa Bay, right? Like I'm gonna try to go to the boat parade tomorrow for the lightning and be down there and celebrate with the city and bring Shepherd along. It's gonna be great because we belong, we're a part of it. But I want you to know that even way more importantly than that is that we belong to something that's even more significant than that, and that's we belong to the family of God. We are a part of God's church, the capital C church. We are part of, we are a part of this process in moving from death to life because we long to be a part of something. We don't long to be isolated. We don't long to be lonely. We long to belong to a community. We long to belong to a circle of friends and family. And that's what this is. That's what the church is today that we're celebrating. And we're going to walk through Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. Check out this first verse from Ephesians chapter 1. Starting in verse 9, it says this, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Jesus Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, underline this for me, because we are united with Christ, we are united with Jesus today, you are not separated, you are not all alone, you are united with the Son of God, Jesus Christ today. We have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God had a plan a long time ago, even before Adam and Eve messed up in the beginning of creation, God had a plan to redeem, God had a plan to restore. When Adam and Eve messed up, God wasn't like scratching his head like, oh no, what am I gonna do now? No, he had designed this beautiful work of redemption. He had designed this beautiful work of forgiveness and salvation that we get to experience today because he created us to have the choice to love him or not, the choice to obey or misbehave and all these different things. But even in those moments, because love cannot exist in control, love only exists when there's choice. That even when we would make a wrong choice, even when we would turn our back on God, even when we would choose to do things our own way, God already said, you know what, even when you do that, I've made a way to get back into relationship with me. I've made a way for you to belong in the family again. And that way has a name, and that name is Jesus. Because here's the thing, today I want you to write this down before we pray, is that God is a sovereign architect with a master plan to redeem humanity. 
God's a sovereign architect, meaning he has taken the time to design this thing. He's taken time to measure out and focus in and pay attention to all the details of our lives and all the details of existence. He's got a master plan. I like having a plan, right? Because if you have a plan, you know, you, you're prepared. Like it's an old goofy phrase, right? If you fail to, uh, if you prepare, uh, Fail to prepare, prepare to fail. There it is, right? <laughs> yeah. Or if you fail to plan, plan to fail. There it is. Took me a second to get it, right? God's got a plan. And he's walking things out with us. And the plan was to always bring us back into relationship with him through Jesus. To redeem humanity. I think about it this way, right? You think about a blueprint. Here's a blueprint of a house, right? It's got all the little intricate things written down. It's got the grid. It's got the windows, the doors, the chimney, the roof, the measurements, this floor, that floor. It's got all these detailed things out. It's exactly what God did. We're, we're just following God's plan all along. Not a plan of control, but a plan of a heavenly father who is loving towards his kids and wants to be there for us and guide us through this life. God's a sovereign architect, meaning he's all powerful and he's in control. He's got a master plan, which means he thought about this stuff a long time ago, and his ultimate goal is to redeem humanity back to himself, and that's what we're unpacking today. That's what the book of Ephesians is going to show us in chapter one here. So let's pray and lean into this this morning. God, once again, I'm thankful for your word. Your word gives us life. Your word gives us encouragement. Your word gives us inspiration and instruction. So I pray we would listen and lean in to our conversation today. And I'm thankful for all our kids next door. I pray that you would encourage them and lift them up and help them have an amazing day in church as they realize that Jesus is their very best friend and be with our kids team as well. And God, again, we're just so thankful that we belong here in the community that is centered and united around Jesus. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. We all say and agree, amen. Come on, let's clap our hands if you're ready to jump into the message today. So what I gotta do first is I gotta give you some context about Ephesians. Uh, it's a, again, it's a book in the Bible, kind of smack dab in the middle of the New Testament. And it's really important to understand who it was written to, why it was written, and it helps us understand what the author is saying. So write some of these things down for me. Number one is Ephesians was written by a guy named Paul. Talked about him for a second. Paul was a guy who in the beginning completely dedicated his life to destroying the church. He dedicated his life to stopping the spread of the good news of Jesus. It, because it threatened everything that he had believed in his whole life, because it threatened the religious influence that he had within the Jewish leaders at that time, and, and it really threatened all the things that they had become comfortable with, especially Paul, because he was successful, he had influence, and he did not want this thing of Jesus to succeed. But as God does sometimes, Jesus stepped into his life and changed everything in an instant. And Paul begins to not try and destroy the church, but he does whatever it takes to plant churches around this world, around the known world at the time, to see people experience and know Jesus, to continue to spread and build the message of the good news of the gospel. It was written in 60, around 67 AD, which I think is important. It's not just a date, and don't worry, there's not going to be a test at the end. Uh, it was written in 67 AD, and that's important because that's only 30-some years after Jesus walked the earth. See, the Bible and the stuff that we talk about when it comes to Scripture, these things weren't written like a hundred, hundreds of years later where people said, you know that Jesus guy that walked on the earth like a few hundred years ago? We should maybe write some things down about him so that people remember it. No, it was written down immediately. It was categorized and cataloged right away by eyewitnesses, by people who knew Jesus. 
people who observed these things and saw what God was doing and saw what Jesus was doing as he was building the church. So Paul gave his life to this and writes Ephesians in 67 AD to the city of Ephesus, to the city of Ephesus. But also, it's not just limited to one city. Really, the book of Ephesians is important because it's not just written to the church in Ephesus that I'm going to talk about. It's written to us, the capital C church. It's to remind us what a loving and life-giving community of God looks like and has been designed to be. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 is all about the gospel story. Paul is pretty much writing down for three chapters, hey, here's what God did. Here's what he did through Jesus. All these things, and we're going to read, read them today. And then in chapter 3 verse 1, he starts with this word, therefore, if you'll write that down, therefore now it leads to our story. So like, here's what God did, and here's how it impacts you and me now. Think about when people are giving you information or telling you a story. I have kind of the selfish response sometimes, like, okay, what does that have to do with me? Or what does that mean for me, right? I'm kind of that way sometimes when it comes to conversation, and I know it's a selfish thing to admit, but it's okay. We can be open and honest here. But here's the thing. That's what Paul is doing. When people are reading about Jesus and reading even these chapters today, local church, I want you to understand this has an impact on your story. This isn't just nice things we're reading. It's impacted our story today. Because God did all of this amazing stuff, therefore, this is now who you are. Because of God doing all these amazing things through Jesus, therefore, this is now what you have access to. This is now what's available to you. I don't have to approach life the same way I used to. There's something new now. The Bible tells us, Paul writes in another book, Corinthians, that now the old has gone, the new has come. You are a new creation. I tell you today, you've been moved into something new, and that new thing is God's family. Let's read in Ephesians chapter 1 what it says, starting in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read to verse 8 in the beginning here. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Man, I love that. I just want to be described as a faithful follower. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Would you underline that for me? Every spiritual blessing. God's blessed you with not just a few spiritual blessings, not just one or two, not just earned spiritual blessings. He's blessed you with every single one in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Verse 4 Even before he made the world, God loved us. Man, I love that. And chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. Woo, that's great to hear. God wanted to do this. You ever feel like you're trying to convince God to love you? You ever feel like you're trying to convince God to want to pay attention to your life? Okay, God, hey, I really need you. I went to church on Sunday, so hey, can you like pay attention to me? I feel like even though my son is three years old, he does that all the time. I feel like we don't really ever grow out of that. We love attention. We love to know that we're needed and known. Well, let me tell you today, what it says right here is that God wanted to do this, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered us with kind, kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Would you underline that? 
showered his kindness on us. See, what I love about God is he doesn't challenge us to know more things. What we talk about on Sunday, even when we step into like a study of a book of the Bible, this isn't to know more things, right? This is to see the kindness of God, the goodness of God at work in our life that's available to us. Because knowledge is great, but it's not really power as much as we think it is. Understanding the character of who God is in our life, that he is a God of kindness, that has power in my life. To know that it's not about what I know, it's about I know I've experienced the kindness of God. That's what's moved me from death to life. The kindness of God, the kindness exemplified in his son, Jesus. I love some of these things that Paul really illustrates out in this story. Let me give you some more context about Ephesus at the time. So the city of Ephesus was a really influential, important city. I have a map of it right here that I wanted to show you. So Ephesus was located in like southwest, that's kind of Turkey area nowadays, and it was right on the water, which meant it was a very influential city because of trade and shipping and things like that, coastline, all of the above. It was actually also a very spiritual city because inside the city of Ephesus was this place called the Temple of Diana or the Temple of Artemis. It looks like this, beautiful. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world and the craftsmanship and architecture of this building. And it was built around, this is true, it was built around a meteorite that had hit the earth hundreds of years before, and they had carved out an image of the Temple of Diana or Artemis, whichever god, they, whatever, both, things, both names are the same. It was in the center of the temple. And it made the city of Ephesus very spiritual. It made people very committed to the temple because the temple was the very influential voice of the city. The bank, the bank existed inside the temple. The people that ran like the guild professions and jobs and all the wealth of the city was all wrapped up in this building. It's important to know that because this was a spiritual city. This was a place that had also some spiritual darkness about it because nothing about this building had anything pointing in the direction of Jesus, pointing in the direction of God. So when Paul's writing this, it's important to realize what the spiritual climate of the city was. Extremely lost, extremely wrapped up in religious things that were not helping culture and not helping society at all. A lot of performance, a lot of misuse of the influence that religion had in the city at that day. And so Paul is writing to the believers of Ephesus at this time. And it's really key to understand that when God, when God or when Paul is writing things about family and adopting us, he's showing us the God that we believe in and he's showing the Ephesians that the, the God that they've given their life to is a God of relationship. It's not a God of all these things you have to do and go to the temple this many times a day and offer this sacrifice and know these things and cite these prayers. It's that our God, Jesus, is one of relationship. And one of the most powerful relationship phrases that Paul uses in this first little stanza of scriptures here, it's about halfway down. I'd love for you to underline it or circle it. It's where it says, God decided in advance, circle these three words, God decided in advance, circle to adopt us. Man, this is so good. That God decided in advance to adopt me and you into his family. It reminded me of a story uh, uh, I read about while I was preparing uh, for this message. I'm going to show you a picture of a uh, really amazing lady, and this is her uh, now son, Anthony. So Anthony was in this, Mrs. Mrs. Barry, she was a teacher in Texas. Anthony was in her class, and his life was completely going the wrong direction. He was getting in trouble with the law. He had been in and out of foster homes, had no relationship with his biological parents, and he was alone. He was isolated. He was broken. And the more in trouble he got in, the more he realized that he needed something different. And one day, kind of jokingly, he said to his teacher, Mrs. Berry, Mrs. Berry, would you just adopt me? 
that would really like help out if you just adopted me into your family because I'm out here alone and I'm just, I don't trust myself with all these decisions that I'm making. I need your help. And he just kind of said it off the cuff, right, a little jokingly. But Mrs. Berry took that to heart and began to pave the way for her to begin to adopt Anthony, to fill out the right paperwork and do what she needed to do to bring him into her home where he could find life again, where he could find family again. And this is a picture of them on National Adoption Day a few years ago, her hugging him, tears of joy, right? Here's the thing. As much as Anthony wanted to be adopted, it only happened because of the heart of a parental figure, of the heart of a mother that invited him in to make this happen. She did the work. She filled out the paperwork. She paid the cost to bring him into her house. That is what God has done, that God chose to adopt you. That when, and again, in our brokenness, we say things like, God, I just need you to adopt me. I need you. I need something. I need to belong to something because we long to belong. I need to be a part of a community that inspires me and encourages me and helps me when I'm down. God says, I got it for you. I'm adopting you into my family family, and he made the way. He did all the paperwork through his son Jesus here on this earth as Jesus gave his life for me and you to bring us back to God so we could be redeemed, we could be forgiven and set free. Come on, if you're thankful that you're a part of God's family, give me an amen today. Type me an amen in the comment section online because that's what we're celebrating today, that God initiated the adoption. See, it's not just this, I think even this word to adopt us doesn't do it credit with what Paul was writing. See, the original Greek phrase or Greek word that Paul wrote to say to adopt us is actually this idea of son place, meaning that God placed us in the position of son and daughter. It's really important to know your position. That's what Paul is reminding the Ephesians. It's really important to know the position you've been placed in now because of your trust in Jesus. To know that your position is not one of performer. Can I free you with that today? God is not looking for anyone to perform for him. Reading the Bible, coming to church, praying, lifting our hands in worship, we're not performing. That's not our position. That is not what God sees, and that's not the title that he's given us. And our title is not, and our position is not mistake. Our position is not broken. Our position is not anything that is less than son and daughter. That's your position today. Your position is son, your position is daughter. So why do I lift my hands in worship? Why do I celebrate in prayer? Why do I spend time in God's word? Because I know that he's brought me into a family that I have no business being in. But it's because of the goodness of God and his heart for the brokenness and lost people that he has brought us back to himself so that we can now be positioned as sons and daughters. See, one of the things that shepherds learned, he didn't even learn, I, don't, I, don't know, I didn't have to teach him this, And what's amazing as we grow up is we begin to become our own worst enemy with this. Shepherd never stands at the door of our house and says, I wonder if I'm allowed to come in today. I wonder if mom and dad are going to be excited to see me today. I wonder if because I spilled something or made a mistake or or did something I wasn't supposed to do, I wonder if I'm going to be allowed to come home today. We don't lock Shepard outside or anything like that. Don't get that message or anything. He's always allowed in. But he never thinks that. He knows, like, I'm coming in. It's my house. Open the door. Let me in. 
We can't lose that when it comes to our position as sons and daughters with God. Because we'll stand on the outside, we'll stand on the outside figuratively during things like worship or during things like the message or even like reading the Bible or praying and we're thinking that, okay, I gotta stand out from a distance because I'm not worthy of being in the house. That is not your position. Your position is son and daughter and sons and daughters are always allowed in the family house. Always have a seat with their name on it. Always have a place where they belong to experience their heavenly father. Turn to the person next to you and say, hey, your position is son, your position is daughter. You can give him an elbow like that, too, to wake him up a little bit. We're about halfway done here. This is good. This is good. Write this down for me. Here's your next blank, is that before we knew God, he chose us on purpose to adopt us into his family. And before we knew God, before we had anything to do with this life, God chose us on purpose. It wasn't a mistake wasn't an accident. God wasn't like, oh man, I got all these people now. What am I supposed to do with this? Now he chose us on purpose. Why? To adopt us into his family. I want you to know that maybe your earthly family was one of brokenness, and man, it hurts you more than it helps you. I want you to know today, you don't have to, you don't have to stay in that family anymore. You're a part of a spiritual family now. You're a part of a heavenly family now, that at the top of our house is the heavenly Father God, and our very best friend is Jesus. See, what Paul, why Paul uses language like family and adopt is because when you were adopted into a new family back in biblical culture, everything from your past was completely wiped away. Like when you were adopted into a new family, they no longer saw you as having anything to do with your past. If you were adopted into a wealthy family, you were now a wealthy person. If you were adopted into a successful family, you were now seen as a successful person. They didn't look at anything from your past at all because so much of it was wrapped into family name and culturally, your house, all of that and all of the above. That's what they saw. And it's the same thing with God. I want you to understand that you have been moved from maybe families of brokenness or maybe spiritual families of isolation and loneliness or anxiety and depression, maybe emotional distress or mental health family things that you've dealt with and held on to. You are not in that family anymore. You are in the family of God. And in that family, there is strength, there is power, there is a miracle working God who is on your side. Before you even knew him, he chose you on purpose, local church. He chose you on purpose to adopt you into his family to call you son and daughter. Big key right here is not because we were good, but because he is good. Not because, man, I love this statement because it takes so much pressure off of me. I don't need more pressure on my life, all right? I got the pressure of just being alive. I got the pressure of husband, dad, pastor, just trying to be a nice, decent human being. It's a lot of pressure already, all right? I don't need any more. So I'm so thankful God doesn't place pressure on me to try and be good enough to be accepted by him. Because guess what? You never could be anyway. Oh, okay, good. That makes me feel a little bit better. Because if everything depends on God, then, man, it's unchanging. If everything depends on Jesus, then it doesn't really matter what I've done or what I've said or what I've walked through because it's all been redeemed and restored and rebuilt because of Jesus, because of God's goodness. And I tell you today, take the pressure off yourself. All the pressure was on Jesus, and he handled it, and he conquered it, and he lived this life so that we could be redeemed back into our position of son and daughter in our family, so that we could begin to be a part of the community, the capital C Church, again, and see what God is doing as we move 
from death to life. Paul is literally telling everyone, there's nothing better than this, all right? This is the best community to be a part of. The church is literally amazing. The church literally is the hope of the world, and you are a part of it. Listen, local church is just one piece of the capital C church all over the world that has been changing things for thousands of years and will continue to impact and change things until Jesus comes back. And we're, all we're doing is helping people, loving God, and showing them that God loves them, serving them, caring for them, letting them know that they belong here. They don't have to stand at the door because God adopted them. They may not be good, but God is good and they are welcomed here in this place. And it's the most powerful message you are a part of. And it's the most powerful message that we could ever share with anyone. So good. Ephesians chapter one, verse nine. Let's keep going here as we begin to finish up. It says this, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God, for once again, he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were first to trust in Christ, remember this is Paul writing it, who was a Jew would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles who have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised, and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify in him. Would you underline the phrase in this scripture that says, the good news that God saves you? The good news that God saves you. If there's one Simple thing that we need to hold on to and share with people around us. It's that right there. We believe is good news that God saves us. What we believe is good news is that God is not at a distance. God is not up on a cloud wanting nothing to do with us. God is involved in our lives, and God has saved us through his son, Jesus. See, the church in Ephesus at this time was led by Timothy, who was a disciple of Paul. And scholars tell us that the church in Ephesus at this time was anywhere from 15 to over 20,000 people. If anyone ever tells you that the idea of megachurch stuff isn't biblical, I just would lead you to the book of Ephesians, right? Because that's a lot of people falling in love with Jesus, and that matters. And it's important to see how this, this city was being overtaken with the good news of Jesus in a really powerful way. And how did it all start, though? See, we would think that this started maybe with some giant miracle that Paul performed or the disciples walking in as a spiritual army, just taking ground for the kingdom. But it actually started um, with just one single guy, who maybe was single, who knows. But just one guy, just one guy. And we see that in Acts chapter 18, um, there's a guy by the name of Apollos. And he had heard a little bit about Jesus. Actually, in Acts chapter 18, it literally tells us this, that all Apollos knew was about John the Baptist's testimony. I mean, that all he knew was that John the Baptist was a guy that came right before Jesus. He was Jesus' cousin and said, hey, the Son of God's coming to this earth to redeem and restore humanity. You better repent, get saved, because, you know, Jesus is coming. And then, of course, he showed up. But all Apollos knew was John the Baptist's testimony, that the Son of God had come to earth. And probably he began to hear some whisperings or maybe even saw for himself that Jesus did walk the face of this earth, that, did Jesus, that Jesus did give his life and conquered death and he ascended to heaven. What a powerful thing. And so Apollos journeyed back to Ephesus and just began to tell people the little thing that he knew. 
The Son of God's come to earth. And I think pretty sure he conquered death. Pretty sure he performed some miracles too. And this was the groundwork, that the, the little groundwork, and it was all that God needed to create a spiritual awakening of the good news of Jesus in one of the most influential cities in the world at that time. One guy just telling what he knew. Listen, today what you know is that there's good news that God saves you. Today what you know is that Jesus, you are united with him in forgiveness and freedom because of what he's done. You are a part of the family of God. Paul is not only reminding the church in Ephesus, his writings today are reminding us of this. So you don't have to walk out those doors today like, oh man, if someone asks me a question, I don't know what I'm going to answer. Or I don't know what to say. I don't know what to tell people about this or that or God or Jesus. Just tell what you know. It's all Apollos was doing. And man, life by life, this thing began to take ground until eventually the church in Ephesus was 15, 20 plus thousand people. Because God loves to use simple stories. God loves to use humble, simple people to make a difference that only he can through them. That is the power of God. That's what he does. That's what he loves to do. See, what's interesting, though, as well, is Paul also uses this phrase a little bit, a couple lines down. He says, the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee. Would you, under, would you circle that word for me? The Holy Spirit or the Spirit is God's guarantee. This word's really important to lean into. Because what Paul is writing here is that he's saying the Holy Spirit is God's stamp, God's seal on your life that you are his. The Holy Spirit is God's stamp, God's seal, God's mark on your life that you are redeemed that you are reconciled and forgiven and set free because of Jesus. The power and encouragement and strength that you feel from God's Holy Spirit, that's the stamp, that's the seal, that's the mark. Why does it matter? I'm glad you asked. Here's why it matters. Because at that time, once again, remember, in the city of Ephesus, the temple of Diana had all the rules, right? It had all the influence. And it led culture with literally marks of the temple that were all over the city. That people, leaders within the temple led things, again, like I told you, like the guilds, which that meant if you were a certain profession or job, you could be kicked out of guilds and you could, be, you could lose your job and the way you provided for your family, simply because now you were turning from this temple to the temple to, to Jesus, not even a temple, just to a person, Jesus. You could lose all your money in the bank because the bank was run by the temple. People didn't like this, especially the leaders in the temple who used their religious standing to oppress the people and to control them. So imagine you're in the city of Ephesus. You hear, about, you hear about Jesus from maybe Apollos or maybe from Paul when he's there. You're in a crowd and you hear about the Son of God's come to this earth. And it's not about knowledge. It's not about religious things. It's about the fact that he's good. Even before you knew him, he loved you and chose you. And he loved you so much that he sent his son here to this earth to give his life for you. He conquered death for you so you could be redeemed back into the family of God so you could know that you don't have to long to belong anymore. You can know that you belong. And you, re, and you hear that story and you realize, man, I think this might be real. This might be true. It sounds like the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I want to give my life to this. And you say yes to Jesus. You give your life to him. But it's not that simple because that's going to affect every single area of your life in this city. That you might, be, you might lose your job. You might be ostracized from your family, from your friends, because you're going against the temple. You have to walk through the city every day in this, with this giant building looming over your head of 
this system that's been oppressing you and hurting you and kicked you out simply because you've decided to follow Jesus. Paul is speaking to people who are discouraged. Paul is speaking to people who feel alone, who feel like they can't do it on their own. Paul is speaking to people who are questioning, is this really even worth it? And he says, hey, listen, I know that there's marks of the temple of Diana all over the city, and I know that there's things that you've lost, but I want you to know today that you are stamped, you are sealed, and you are approved by the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did for you. No, you weren't good enough, but Jesus is the best that God has to offer, and he gave that to you. And you are sealed, you are stamped, you are made whole because of that. So yeah, when you see maybe those physical things around the city, remember that spiritually you are sealed, spiritually you are confident, spiritually you are secure because the Son of God is proud to be in your life and the Holy Spirit is giving you strength and giving you wisdom and understanding and knowledge when you need it. It's all you need. Don't give up. Keep going. You're a part of God's church, and you belong here. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, ever since I first heard of your strong faith, woo, I would love for when I get to heaven, Paul to say to me, hey, I heard about your strong faith. Thanks for not giving up. Hey, I heard about your strong faith. Thanks for spreading the good news to your family and friends and your city, your neighborhood. Your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere. I have not stopped thanking God for you. I want you to know today, once again, Paul does write this to the church in Ephesus, but I believe he's also writing it to the capital C church that he believed would last for generations. So today I would say to you, Paul is saying, thank you for continuing. Thank you for keeping going. And we're just getting started. See, at local church, we have a belief here that, man, we love Sundays because we get to sit in a row and get inspired and and worship together and lift each other up. But we know that we've got to take another step. We've got to move from a row to a circle where we can build each other up and we can build community and we can see life change happen. I want you to know that in just next month's time, we're going to be opening up Uh, opportunities for you to lead a circle that are coming back in September, but training for leading a circle is in August. And if you would say, I would ask you to ask God, God, would you want me to lead a circle, which is pretty much just our small groups here at local church? Remember, you don't have to be some expert. Apollos was not an expert. He just shared what he knew. And that was the good news that God is saving his people through Jesus. So again, you could lead anything. It could be a Bible study. It could be playing a sport. It could be gathering some moms together and just talking about your kids or gathering together families or married couples. Whatever it is, from interest-based to diving deeper, and there's opportunities. We just need people to step up and be willing to build a community and lead one so that we can see life change happen in people's lives. If you're interested in that at all, we want to train you. We want to help you be able to do that. All you got to do is text CIRCLES to 97000. We'll give you the link that you can fill out some information. We'll, we'll get you trained up next month, and when we launch Circles in September, we'll be ready to create community for a lot of people so that they can experience God in a real way, make friends, find purpose, and dream big. Because I want you to write this last thing down for me. The real evidence of God's work in us is not the love we claim to have for Him, but our love for His people that others can see. I love this statement. The real evidence of God's work in us is not the love that we claim to have for Him, It's our love for his people that others can see. See, it's not just shouting out or posting on our social media platforms that we love God. It's truly exemplifying it in the way that we love his people. Because they're a part of our family too. They just don't know it yet. They're invited to belong too. They just feel like they have to stand at the door and wait. They're just waiting for someone to open the door for them. 
One of the ways we do that is bring hope local through another thing we're doing in just a few weeks called Serve Day. I'd love for you to be a part of Serve Day. Not just because you get a free shirt, because you get to literally show people God's love. You can sign up for that today as well. And we just put the final touches on all the plans we have to use our Hope food truck for the first time to feed hundreds of families that day. We're going to be providing free laundry for families, cleaning up our city, all of the above, handing out water, just whatever it takes to make a difference so that people can see the evidence of God in our life. And here's the final thing as we begin to close. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. I had a little simple example that I wanted to show you. Up on the screen, you're going to see two circles, a me circle and a we circle. And I want you to realize this is the true transformation from death to life. Is that what Paul is reminding the Ephesians is that, hey, this isn't about you anymore. This isn't about how great you are, all the things you've done. It's not even about your success within the temple. It's not about that. Stop having all the arrows point towards you. It's not about me anymore, which is very freeing. Can I tell you? We've moved to life, which is the fact that we're a part of a life-giving community that is labeled by we, because we is greater than me. It's we, it's us. It's the capital C Church bringing hope local and making a difference here in this city, here in our world today. It is we making a difference. You see, all the things when we focus on ourselves, it's all these big things pointing at us, little things that we're selfishly focusing on, but man, when we graduate to the we focus, God immediately multiplies our influence, adds more things to our life. We're able to make a difference because we're focused on the right things now. Jesus literally said himself, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Here's a very practical way to look at it. I have a little Starbucks cup here. And here's the way I believe a lot of us, this is the me settling that we do, that we, we settle for this, right? Not just in our life, but I also believe in our spiritual life as well. That we want God to fill us up with everything that we talked about today. God, fill me up with your goodness. Fill me up with your love and joy and strength. And he does because he's a good God. He's always going to do that. But we settle for simply the single cup of whatever God wants to fill our lives with. And you know, we, we take our sips. Ah, so good. A little light on the cream, God. A little heavy on the sugar. Let's try and get it right tomorrow, God, okay? Get the balance right. Okay, this isn't exactly what I wanted. Because it begins to be so focused on what we're consuming what we're taking in, right? And I see so many people who settle in their relationship with God because this is as far as they get. They never refuse to graduate from this, which we were never created to be a consumer. We were never created to just sip and sip and take in for ourselves. We were called to now be a vessel of God's kindness and love. We were called to graduate and now dispensing out the goodness of God. The need is still the same. We got to be filled but guess what? When we graduate, we can be filled up with a little bit more of God's goodness and love and joy and strength and forgiveness and freedom. But then we realize we were not, see, this was designed for one person designed to consume. This was designed for multiple people to bless and pour out and lift up and serve and do whatever it takes to fill someone else up as I'm filled up as well. Because you know, when I spend time with God, when I worship him, when I know what his word says about me and says about the community I belong to, man, I just naturally get filled up. But then I, once I really accept what it's all about, I can't help but open my life up and begin to not only pour out into my own life, but pour out into people around me by serving, by leading a circle, by giving, by trusting God, by knowing that 
he's working within me and then I'm filling all these other people up because this is the only place where we find true fulfillment. Some of the most frustrated people I know are the ones who live right here. All about me, how is this affecting me, this hurt my feelings, this offended me. I do not want to live there because that is death. Life is saying, oh man, I'm part of something so much greater. It's not about me anymore. Oh man, there's so much more things that are important than me. And if I can help people, if I can fill somebody up, I'd much rather do that. If I can make a difference in someone's life, that's what I'm doing. It's about we, it's not about me anymore. That's what Paul is writing. I wanna close service a little differently today. I'd love for you, if you would, as Paige plays, I would love for us to stand up, if you would. All of us stand up in this room. What I wanna do is, I wanna take some time to do a benediction prayer over you, which is a prayer of blessing. And it's not gonna be my words. It's gonna be Paul's prayer over your life. The words will be up on the screen, but what I would ask you to do, whether you close your eyes or not, what I would ask you to do is just to assume this posture right here, even if you're watching online, just hold out your hands. We do this because this is a posture of reception, right? Like my son, he knows the posture of reception when I have a gift for him. It's this. And I believe God wants to place some things in your hands today, reminding you that you belong, reminding that you're adopted into the family, and that we've been invited to a we as we pour, pour, pour our lives out. Let's start in verse 15. This is Paul praying over us today. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith, local church, in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. His holy people who are rich and have a glorious inheritance. I also pray that you would understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power, local church, that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly places. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of you, the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Come on, in Jesus' name, we believe it. We all say and agree. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on The Local Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your heart. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to local church. Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to local.church give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.